0: Welcome to Comedy Girl Crush Podcast. I'm Katie Dawson. I'm Nikki Urban, and our special guest today is Stacy Roommaker. You can catch her monthly at the Virgil in Los Angeles as the host of The Nightcap with Stacy Roommaker. Stacey, it's so good to have you on the podcast. Oh, I'm so thrilled to be here. Super excited
1: to have you. Um, as we were talking about earlier, we've had several people that you've worked with on the show. So it's just really awesome to finally get to talk to you.
0: Yes. And everybody speaks so highly of you. And of oh, course, I have worked with you for years, and you are just a
2: delight. Oh, thank you. Well, I'm a big fan of yours, obviously. I work with you all the time. And Katie, I'm. We, I hardly knew you. <laughs> but by the, I have a feeling by the end of this hour you and I will be best France oh my god yeah. I
0: feel it too I just fell out kind of neck job she's gonna be like screw you Nikki get out of here. Yep. here
2: you're gonna be I'm feeling on, all third wheelish
0: yeah I mean, I'm on team Dawson <laughs>
1: uh it's a small team it's a small team oh. uh <laughs> party of one right now oh you'll be no you'll be in me too oh. I'm on team Dawson yeah. oh that's true yeah. I'm on team urban oh man Oh, we're just teaming. <laughs> we're uh,
0: mortal enemies. <laughs> <laughs>
1: and we're all on no. Team Roommaker. Yeah. yeah.
0: Woo. I'm waving a flag right now. You can't see it. They're huge. So, Stacey.
2: Yes. How long have you been doing comedy? Oh, gosh. I want to say the the first time that I sort of actively pursued it was in college. But I always, I was always the class clown. Mm-hmm. Uh, even before that. I just remember being really young. My, my mother says that I did... An impression of George Burns when I was three years old. Uh, but I don't remember that at all. But I've always used humor in some way. But I will say in college, I started doing stand-up. There was an improv team on my college campus, Montclair State University, which I am wearing a sweatshirt right now. Nice. God, it's old. <laughs> it's a really old sweatshirt I, if I have to do the math. But I won't.
0: So there was
2: an improv team on my college campus called Possible Side Effects. And that was the first time that it sort of clicked that, like, oh, I could, I could perform, I could do this. Not that I ever performed with them, but they, they were definitely inspiring. Like uh, Rebecca Johnson was on that team, who's now on Glow, and she was really inspiring because I believe she was the only female member at the time. Oh, uh, so classic. She, yeah, uh, yeah. Know, they they added another woman, Tamara, after that. But so I would say college, and then so they started taking classes at UCB. And back then UCB, sort of like the pack theater, it was just this one little black box theater. Um, It was either on like 22nd or 26th, I forget which one, and before they moved into the bigger one. But I didn't really want to do improv. I wanted to do stand-up because that is all I really knew that comedy was. So I thought, well, you know what? I'll take some improv classes and I'll meet other stand-up comics. And I'll figure out how to do stand-up that way. And that's exactly what happened.
1: You met other stand-ups in improv? Yes. Oh, that's Mm. a... I mean, I think maybe before they weren't such um, vicious rivals. Yeah, I I
2: never really understood that because I was always just a student of comedy. Mm -hmm. I loved comedy so much. So I never thought, oh, stand-up is better than improv or, you know, acting is... I just... I was gravitated... I gravitated towards stand-up just because I... That was the most accessible to me growing up, you know. I always watched uh, Rich. I loved Richard Pryor. I mm-hmm. I just love stand up comedy, and that was back when even to get the improv and comic strip live, and oh, and then deaf comedy jam. That just opened up a whole new world for me. So when I thought of comedy, I thought of stand up. As far as like that's what I that was my that's what I would pursue. Mm-hmm. But I never looked down on other forms of comedy. I just loved it all. Mm-hmm. I just loved comedy yeah. so much.
1: I didn't know that like stand up and improv sort of like didn't necessarily respect each other's art forms until I moved to Los Angeles. See, you
0: know, I'll be honest, I think
2: I think that's an amateur.
0: Is it a- yeah, yeah, I think it's like I think it's like people who are like intimidated by it, but like ultimately like the people who And generally the people who end up being successful in stand up are people who have like taken improv classes and know how to improvise because like they have to yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> like they have to learn how to write scenes and know how to do them because they're I like starting for taking, tv i started taking improv when i was doing stand
1: up to get better at stand up i yeah. figured learning how to think on my feet would make me better at dealing with like crowd work and yeah. sort of like adjusting on the fly when like a joke didn't land
0: or whatever i think it's people being intimidated by it like if i'm ever like uh Stand up. It's mostly because I'm like, Ugh, I wish I could do that, but I can't.
2: Yeah, I, that's what I think. I just, I just always wanted to be sort of a well-rounded comedian. Yeah. Um. I mean, I look at Robin Williams, and you know, he was an improviser. He was a stand-up. He was a comedic actor, a voice. I mean, you know, he did it all. And that's always what I wanted to be. So any sort of comedy class that I could take, I was, I was there. In fact, so. I had, I've kind of had a weird comedy career because when I graduated college, I wound up being a special ed teacher for about a year and a half, So, and I was a waitress at night, certain nights, and then I was doing stand-up, so it was a really busy time, but I was making a good salary, working a very emotionally taxing job, but making a good enough salary where, like I said, I could waitress a few nights a week just for some mm-hmm. mad money, um, but most of the time I would, you know, get off work 3 o'clock, I would go to the gym or whatever. And then uh, I would get in my car and drive to New York because I lived in North Jersey. So it was really easy just to, you know, drive to New York City and do an open mic there. Or if I wanted to stay in Jersey, I would do the Rascals uh, open mic. So it was a really fun time. But then I quit being a teacher, decided to just devote myself to comedy. And I still bartended and all that good stuff. You have to, you know, pay the rent somehow. But I took... Oh, I enrolled in this comedy school. It was called the American Comedy Institute. It was in New York. It was a one-year program. And one day a week it was acting. One day a week it was writing. One day a week it was improv. And one day a week it was stand-up.
1: Oh. Ooh. Was there like, was it a sign-up or was like a, there an application? Oh, you had to apply.
2: I okay. don't think, <laughs> I, I'm, I'm sure they rejected a few people, but I don't know if they, yeah. but it was a pretty small class. I want to say there was about a dozen of us. And it culminated in sort of like an industry showcase at Caroline's, which was really thrilling. Oh, very cool. It was great. And then I actually met enough people from that class that we started our own sketch team called Hottie Grandma. Nice. (laughs) (laughs) One of the, you know, first a long line of crazily named comedy groups that I've been in. Uh, One of these days I'll get a t-shirt with all of them. But Hottie Grandma was named after our acting teacher who was an older woman, but she was gorgeous. So we called her Hottie Grandma. Uh, So that was her. Uh, so, yeah, I just, I loved comedy. I loved all aspects of it. I think my biggest problem is not knowing which aspect to sort of follow, uh, except it, when it came to The Nightcap, which is my late night talk show. Yeah. Not to segue into that, but I think when I was four years old, I saw The Tonight Show with Johnny Carson. I vividly remember sitting in front of the TV. My older sister, Gina, she's a, she was 11, sitting on the couch. I'm holding a baby doll watching The Tonight Show, and this little man on TV is telling jokes. Mm -hmm. He tells a joke, the audience laughs. He tells a joke, I laugh. Because I know the rhythm of it. I want to be involved. Mm -hmm. My older sister, she gets frustrated with me, as she will her entire life. And uh, she says, you don't even know what they're laughing at. (laughs) And she was right, but I just loved being involved I just I was I was just in love with that magic of the call and response of just you know late night and I think ever since then that's been my true passion but I, I guess maybe I didn't want to admit it to myself yeah. so it was stand-up it was improv it was writing but then all of those things really came back to being a late night talk show host
0: so the nightcap that is a show that happens monthly it's a
2: political Yep, political late night talk show. Uh, although I don't think we're any more political than most late night talk shows. It's it's pretty much just a late night talk show. Yeah, um, I don't topical. know. No, you think so? Or yeah, to- I mean, topical pop culture. We, I mean, I guess I don't know. But I think I watch I watch a lot of late night. I wouldn't say we're any more political than Seth Meyers.
0: That's fair. That's you know? fair. I,
2: I definitely don't think we're as political as say Samantha B. Yeah. Um, I. The problem with politics nowadays is that people are so tired of it. Yeah. yeah. You know, and and with our show, we really try to have fun. We truly try to not get too serious, not get too preachy, really take a silly angle from the news and and you know run with it.
0: I feel like you got y'all really do a good job of that, like thank you, really making it funny and enjoyable and entertaining, and it's really cool in the space and the Virgil, which um also like a hot tub.
2: Yeah, Hot Tub with Kristen Shawl and Kurt uh, oh, yeah, I yeah, Sorry, yeah. I always mess up his Braumler. last name. Bronler Is that it? Yeah. Very nice. It's a great show. And they always have amazing stand-ups. And then they also have – they have a, the Virgil has a lot of great comedy shows right now. They have Hags on, I think, Tuesday nights with Steph Tulliv. And uh, I'm going to mess this up too. It's Daniel Rug Webb or Daniel Webb Ooh. Rug. Oh, but he's great. Yeah. Um, and, oh, New Negroes is on Sundays. There's just a lot of really great comedy shows. So I'm really honored to actually be included in, in such a great lineup. And I love that space. The Virgil is fantastic.
0: So how did you come up with the idea of the nightcap? What was the, like, inception for you to get to that point where you are like, okay, this is it. I'm going to host my own late night show. And
2: I'm going to make it happen and go all the way with it. So the Pack Theater is where the show started. So let's backtrack a little bit. I was pretty involved with IO West and I was mm-hmm. a member of a weekly topical news show called Top Story Weekly.
1: Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm.
2: That one. Yes. They're in NoHo now, uh, I think, at a
1: theater in North Hollywood. Yeah, I think
2: they I think they might be done. Are they done now? Yeah. But they had a really long run. Mm-hmm. It was a really great experience. Um Mike Hughes and Philip Wolburn were the two in charge of that, and I—I I was a cast. No, no. How did I start it? I started off as sort of like an underwriter, you know, uh, somebody who could just sort of pitch, and then I worked my way up to staff writer, and then worked my way up to head one of the head writers. There's one of four because we do it weekly, so you know, once a month you ran the uh you ran the writers room, and that being a head writer. Really makes you grow as a regular writer because you see what what you need to really get to. you know, you need to get to that idea that like what is the idea of the sketch? What is funny about this? Like pitch it to me in a way where right away, I get the concept and give me a couple jokes where I'm laughing at it. So that really taught me how to pitch. and I got more involved in top story to the point where not only was I a head writer, I was also in the cast, and I was also a segment producer because I helped pick the monologue jokes. so It was really heavily involved and it was a great experience. But at the end of the day, I kind of felt like I had moved up as far as I could go. Mm -hmm. And I had a lot of my own ideas about how things should go. And instead of trying to change someone else's vision, it just became clear to me that I needed to spread my wings and fly and start my own nest I guess if I'm continuing with the metaphor. And the Pack theater had just gone to seven-day-a-week shows. So they were asking for, hey, pitch your show, pitch your show. And Brian O'Connell and I had known each other for a while from iOS. So I pitched my own late-night talk show. Well, everybody was pitching late-night talk shows. (laughs) So Brian said, you got to find a way to make this very specific. Because we've got so-and-so with the late-night show, so-and-so. And I said, okay, fine. I'll make it political. I didn't want to make it political because of Top Story Weekly. I wanted to um, carve my own path and just make it a strictly late night talk show, like The Tonight Show. But I was like, okay, fine. It's going to be a political late night talk show. And it started very simply at first where I believe I believe Gil Barron was my first director and then it, it was John Conroy for a long time and then Ben Kirshner m- moved into the role and he's been the director ever since. But what I wanted to do was create a show that was mine and that people would get excited about and it would attract other people to write for it. Mm. That's what I knew in my heart, that if I created a show where people liked it enough that they wanted to be a part of it, then I was going to collect my people. I always knew that I couldn't do this by myself. Like I remember in the beginning, I was I was writing almost everything. Hunter Altman would do my tech like the night before. Not, you know, it was... Oh, man, Hunter, if you're listening, you really, he just saved my butt so many times. Uh, He's a great guy. And, you know, I brought quite a few people. on Like Dave Chacha was one of the beginning guys. Um, You know, it's just sort of morphed and changed and evolved where, you know, people have come and gone, which is, you know, what happens in the comedy world. Uh, But now uh, Brandon Burkhardt is my head writer. And he's just fantastic. He is just such a like a comedy workhorse. I have a really amazing team of producers who they're so passionate about the show on their own. Yeah. That makes a big difference. It really does. Because I know, like, Brian Rubenow, he does, you know, Brian Rubenow and John Conroy, both producers, they work on the commercials every month. And I know that they are putting such care into it that I, you know, I I see a cut of the commercial, but I don't necessarily have to be involved in every step.
1: And And they, like, get... They get your voice. They yes. get what you're going for. And they have
2: their own voice too, which I love. Like Joe Hospoder made, he's one of our writers, but he actually made the commercial this month because Brian was out of town. And the fact that he has such a specific comedic voice that I, if you surround yourself with talented people that you trust, that's really all you can ask for. Uh, Ali Lou, she does a song parody almost every month. And we rarely have to, <laughs> she just shows up. She sings, she tells us what song she's parodying and the, theme that she's going for and she just blows us away so this month she and, did
0: and that was yeah. born out of a need oh yeah because of the space so <laughs> the, the Virgil has a has a screen in the on the stage yeah. but the screen is at the front of the stage and it is so slow going down <laughs> that it is almost the length of a song uh-huh. so Allie Lou sings the parody song to entertain the audience while the screen is going down yes. then we get to see the commercials and they're always really good. Thank you. Um, so, we'll, this last yeah.
2: one, Allie did uh, "Don't Rant on My Parade," and she talked about how much she hated the Macy's Thanksgiving Day Parade. Yes, that was the. Uh,
0: and there were good, some pretty good, solid facts about how many people have died or yeah. like been injured
2: from the Macy's parade. What I love about Allie is she's so specific in her jokes. Yeah, you think that it she knows how to heighten like a motherfucker. And that is <laughs> such a great skill to have. Because just when you think, okay, I, I've squeezed every drop of comedy from this premise, she goes and just finds a way to to get more. So she, like the last verse was about how little the workers are paid to clean up after the Macy's Thanksgiving Day parade. I just thought it was really you know, eye opening. She she's just amazing. But I, I have a ton of great. Writers. I, I now I feel the need to like list all of my writers and producers. But there's just a ton of people who make the nightcap happen. And I hope they all get writing jobs and acting jobs because they're so talented. I that's what's that's, great. That's something you guys
0: you all work on, right? As you you all work on creating, uh, trying to create opportunities
2: for each other. Yes. Yeah, we always share job opportunities. Uh, when packets are are going around, We one of our members usually will hear about it. Not all of us have representation, like I don't have representation right now, but enough of our writers do that if they hear about a job, they'll share it. And every month we have packet writing meetings. So we go over, although packets can be different, they're pretty much all the same.
0: Yeah. If you're a listener who isn't uh, entrenched in the comedy world or you're new to comedy, a packet is essentially like a, a- bunch of materials of like what you think is funny and they're usually very specific like uh, when Colbert show as asking for new writers they have you submit a packet that's like in their style and very specific things and every show is different so you can't just use the same material for one that you can the other so that's really cool that you all when you have a new opportunity coming up you all work together to make each other look good oh sure because
2: I just feel with the nightcap, high tides raise all ships for sure. You know, so if one of us gets hired, that's good for the rest of us.
1: Right. Yeah, absolutely. I was curious (laughs) to ask because you are, you've been a a fan of late night for a very long time. It sounds like since you were a little kid. Um, It never bothered you not seeing a woman hosting a late night show? Oh, sure.
2: Right? Oh, sure. It bothers me. But, uh, okay. So- I'm 41, and when I started coming up through comedy, a lot of the mentality is women aren't funny.
0: Mm-hmm. And yeah,
2: I've heard that before. Yes. yes, I think you've heard that a few times. Yes. So the way to get around that is to consider yourself a phenomenal woman, because well, women aren't funny, but I'm I'm not like the average woman. Yes. Which is what a lot of female comics and other just female comedians had to do to survive is to internalize that misogyny, because if most stand-up comics, even today, if you go to an open mic, I am it's getting better. It is so getting better. But for the most part, I'm one of the few women in the room. And there's definitely been open mics lately where I've gone, and I've been the only woman in the room. So it's still very prevalent. And I think it's once you get to a higher level, it it evens out a little bit, but I think just more men in general will try comedy and just get into the trenches of it. So but getting back to your question, I always thought to myself, well, I can't think about that. I just have to be as funny as I can be mm-hmm. and not worry about it. Now that I'm older and I've ever since moving to LA, especially 10 years ago, is when I realized, oh, there are a shit ton of funny women mm-hmm. and they're not just funny. A lot of them are funnier than the guys. Like, I think that's mm-hmm. really what we're seeing. Not, not to say that there aren't funny men. That's what, that's not what I'm saying, but there are just so many women doing such creative and thought provoking and different comedy that I just, I love. And it's so unapologetic. Mm -hmm. I remember going to see Cameron Esposito at, um, LA riot fest and she did this bit on her period and it was so funny. It was just one of the funniest bits I had ever heard. And I went there with my sister, and we were just sort of clutching each other, crying, laughing. There was a guy next to us sort of looking at us like we're crazy. But it occurred to me, hey, this isn't for you, guy. Just like when I, you know, when male comedians go up there and they do stuff that I don't want to hear, I'm not allowed to be dismissive of it. I'm not allowed to sort of make a face. Because right, right. I'll get called out. Oh, you just don't get it. You don't get the joke. But maybe it's just not for me. And that's okay.
1: Right, right. I had a similar experience when I came to LA. Like, just like finding like all these amazing, brilliant women. And I also kind of grew up, like I was like one of the only women on the improv team at my high school. And like, you know what I mean? You just sort of like get used to that being the way it is. And then you come here and you're like, oh, there are some awesome people here.
2: Yeah. And in a way that you don't have to compete with other women too. That was what was so freeing to me is like, my comedy is different than Nikki's comedy Mm -hmm. and we have similarities, but no one is going to, uh, mistake us for each other, and right. you know it's like there's ro- there is room for talent. That is that is what I've learned.
0: Yeah. Do you think that's a product of just how amazing women are? Or do you think that's because the the pool is still small enough that it's you're not seeing a lot of like duplicate styles, like duplicate duplicate looks. You know, like with dudes. Oh know, yeah. You get a bunch of dudes. We're doing improv. Yeah. like no, The I, beard and, and the, the plaid. Yeah. yeah. And the yeah. glasses. And you're no, sort I of do. Like,
2: think, Which one are you? <laughs> I think women have the burden of standing out. They they can't be mediocre. Mm-hmm. They can't go up there and just do a mediocre set. They have to make it personal. They have to make it original. So I think that. Uh, yeah, I, I think that is our survival. Is that we we don't have the luxury of just getting up there and telling some generic joke that anybody could do. We have right. to make it our own. Yeah, and I think women are better than that. I don't think we get up there and just tell generic jokes. I think we always speak from our you know from our hearts. With the with the, there's a few women I can name that don't that don't do personal comedy. They just do sort of abstract mm-hmm. comedy, which I I love that too. Like uh, I mean, even Ellen DeGener- Ellen DeGeneres really didn't talk much about her personal life. It was always abstract jokes um yeah she does a know? lot of like
1: sort of punny yeah
2: observational yeah stuff. Kate yeah. Berlant who I just mm. love yeah. I love her she the first time I saw and I saw her kind of recently and I was talking to her with uh my producer Julianne Simmons she's like you've never heard of her she's like kind of big in the scene I was like I just you know no but she came out with her purse on stage and she just sort of slammed it down. She's like, I don't know what to do with this. I have my, the deed to my house is in here. <laughs> and I just, I'm like, oh, I'm in love with you. I am in love with you so much. And I just love how much confidence she has on stage. There's a part in her act where she sort of pauses and she looks and she goes, oh, just, I need a minute. <laughs> i love it i'm like how fucking bald i just love it i love women who can just take control of the stage and have the audience in the palm of their hand i love mm-hmm, it it yeah. just ooh, I'm, I'm getting goosebumps just thinking oh, about you it you know who does that for me lizzie cooperman yeah i love it <laughs> yeah. yeah crystal adams another one who just has this quiet confidence on stage oh my goodness it, yeah. her joke writing again you know she's just fantastic yeah
0: we're we're big fans of her she was our first episode so. yeah Her podcast is
2: fantastic too. She, yeah, yeah, Too Sensitive for Comedy. She's, yeah, she really just works on her craft. That's what I love. Again, women can't afford to just dick around with this. Yeah, All the women in comedy I know are, they're writing, they're performing, they're producing their own stuff and they're getting it out there. And that's what I find so inspiring.
1: Because we have to. (laughs) Yeah.
2: We don't have a choice.
1: Indeed. Do you, <laughs> do you think we'll see a uh, a female a lady Tonight Show
2: host uh, anytime soon? I would like. I mean, we've had. Um, so we have right now. Our hosts are that are currently on the air. We have Samantha B. Right. That's. I think of that as like a very.
1: It's more like a Daily Show, I guess. Daily definitely. Show is a talk yeah, show. It's definitely.
2: Oh yeah. It's definitely more of a Daily Show. And then we have uh, a little late with Lily Singh. And that's going pretty well. Oh, so I yeah, think we have some women. That, okay. And then obviously Chelsea. Lately, we've had late night. Right, yeah. A- and yeah. then can we talk about Joan Rivers yeah. for just a split second? Yeah. Oh, yeah. She got done, di- first of all, she got done dirty, okay? Uh-huh. She got done dirty by Johnny Carson. Uh, I, You know, as much as I love him, she got done dirty. You know, a lot of people thought that she gave up her chance to be on The Tonight Show to do her own show, and that's not true. She found out that she was not on the short list of people to replace Johnny, even though she was his guest host yeah. whenever he stepped out. Right. And she found out that she wasn't even up for consideration. So that's when she decided to take the offer to do her own late night show. And I don't know if you know this, but her husband, oh, is it Edgar? Edward? I think it, well, let's just call him Ed. But he was a producer on her late night show. Ah. And the heads of Fox didn't like him. He wasn't oh. working out. And they said to get rid of him. And Joan refused. And they said, okay, well, we'll cancel the show. Oh. And then her husband committed suicide. Oh, my God. oh shit. So she was blacklisted from The Tonight Show from for taking a chance on her own career. And she lost her husband because of it. Oh, my Jeez. God. And... Joan Rivers didn't let that stop her, okay? She fucking bounced back. She had to work like a dog her entire career. I I love Joan so much.
1: Which goes back to what you were saying, though, because she's hilarious. She's one of the funniest
0: And hardest-working,
2: just-joke writers. I've got a theory that
0: whatever thing was depressed in her husband is also what made him probably hard to work with. Oh, sure. Which means take care of your mental health.
2: Yes. And also... Don't put your marriage before your career. No, no. Yeah. <laughs> but I think. True. Well, keep keep it separate. Yeah. I'm I'm very fortunate to have a husband who is super supportive of me, but he's also not involved in comedy, which is lovely. You know, he very, you know, he doesn't come to shows, which is great, honestly, mm-hmm. because I, when I do my nightcap show, that's work to me. Yeah. yeah. You know, I'm not getting up there playing Late night talk show host. I'm, I'm trying to be a late night talk show host. Yeah, you are a late you night. Yes. The late you're night night at work. Have yes, a late
1: night talk show that you. Yes, host. and I work yes. very
2: hard on every month. I mean, every every day of the month. And Nikki, you have your own show, so you know this. That it's not just oh, the week before the show. No, it's every day you're stressing out. Yes, every <laughs> single day there is something that you need to be doing for this show. And every day that sort of oh, you let something slide. It's you know you, you have to be proactive and that's the hardest thing too is not only not only doing the work but sort of selling yourself at the same time yeah that's what's really difficult i would love to get to a point where my work was speaking for itself i don't understand these comedians who are famous but they're still on twitter why why <laughs> You don't like Patton Oswald, I love you. You do not need to be on have to Twitter. Be here. You don't. You don't have to promote shows. You're fine. Right,
0: yeah. Oh, that's that is funny. The not having to promote shows, but I don't know. I feel like I feel like it's that like connection that you're still having with like with the people where it's like it, it's almost like your way of saying like, look, yes, I'm famous, but also I'm still like just you, and I'm connected to you, oh, and sure. I'm like. Reaching out directly to you with my thoughts and ideas, then you don't have to wait to see
2: me on stage, but also my gosh, that's so much work, but that's what I would see uh, that's where I want to get to the point where I am just conveying my thoughts and ideas through my through the stage uh, through my show, where, oh, I have to go to the nightcap because that's where I can hear right. you know what Stacy has to say. What about the people who?
0: Uh, use their Twitter jokes in their stand up. like they're using Twitter to try out jokes.
2: Oh, sure. I mean, <laughs> hey, that's what you're I do that all the time. I absolutely do that all the time. Or I'll do the inverse where I'll write a good stand up joke and I'll think, oh, this will make a good tweet.
1: I have no idea how to use Twitter. I suck at it. Um, but I feel that way it's about success It's a things. cesspool. It is. I mean, but some of it, I like the, like, little delightful things. Sure. You know yeah. what I mean? Like, 30 to 50 feral hogs when that was, like, a thing for me. Oh, oh, wasn't was that a time? There was a time. And I, like, love those, like, it does sort of feel like it's, like, you're connected for, like, just this brief period of time with everyone and yeah. we're all making fun of the same thing. Yeah. And it's, like, it feels like being a, I don't know, like, a kid or something and having, like, an inside joke with a bunch of people.
2: I think that's what happened... You know, with Seinfeld or with Mash, or you know, when you're all in on the same, and because you all tuned in to watch that same TV show, oh, this doesn't happen
1: anymore. We have that as a society. We don't have that like weekly, like did you see that episode? Right. Let's all do the jokes together now. Yeah. Right. It's
2: about, oh no, I didn't see, you know, then there's a spoiler alert and how dare you post a spoiler, but you know, before the West coast feed, which is a dick move. I'm not, I'm not making fun Mm -hmm. of that. Don't post spoilers before the West coast feed. That's not, (laughs) I did unfriend someone over the loss finale because of that. But, um, (laughs) you know, that's the thing. It's so we've, Twitter has enabled us to obviously share and connect and there was, There would definitely be authors and points of view that I wouldn't have known about if it weren't for Twitter, but we have lost a sense of, you know, oh no, we all need to be in the same place watching the same TV show. So that way tomorrow morning Mm. we can all joke about it. Yeah, yeah. Is your family funny? My father's side has a very sarcastic sense of humor, which I, uh, inherited, I guess. And I I didn't really know my dad's side of the family until I was older. Uh, You know, my parents got divorced. My dad really wasn't in my life until I went to college and I sort of reconnected with him. And then I, I met some of my family members. And then through Facebook, Again, you meet cousins and things like that. Mm -hmm. And also another weird thing that we kind of share, which is a little off topic to comedy, but uh, a lot of the roommaker side has this thing called misophonia.
1: Oh, my sister has that.
2: Okay. So for those of you who don't know what it is, it's basically, it's a neurological condition where certain sounds elicit physical reactions in people. So for me, my triggers are gum chewing. Any sort of mouth noises really... um, get me going, uh, pen clicking, which is really tough when you're a writer, especially when you're a head writer and there's a ton of writers in the room because one of them is always clicking okay. a pen. So I'm that crazy person who's always like, hey, can you stop clicking the pen? Because it makes me want to throw up. <laughs> so I inherited sort of this mean sense of humor and misophonia uh from my dad's side. And I I mean my sisters are funny. I think we had to use humor. We kind of had a messed up childhood, so I think we used humor to deflect, and we definitely turned to stand-up. We all watched comedy. Mm-hmm. You know, Saturday... I've been watching Saturday Night Live since... I just remember in kindergarten staying up to watch it. Like, that's how much I loved it that my parents let me watch it at that young of age and stay up. And I remember if I stayed up until the black-and-white horror movie came on at the end, ah, that was... You know, that was my goal. Stay up the whole time. <laughs>
0: So did you know then pretty early on that comedy was what you wanted or did you just figure that out like in college or as an adult?
2: I think I sort of tried to talk myself out of it that it wasn't a viable career for a long time even though I loved it so much I didn't really know. I do remember in high school talking about being a stand-up though. I don't know. I I always knew I wanted to do it. I think the big question is like could I? Yeah. Did I have the balls to. And even even now it's still the question of do I have the balls to do this?
1: Or to stay with it long enough to like break in, like really fully yeah. like break yeah. in. Like it's a it's a process. It it's is. A, it's a long commitment. Most stand-ups do it for years, like decades before they get any traction.
2: I'm so, on the yeah. I'm on the two decade mark. You know, I'm 41. I've been doing this, you know, at least before my 20s. And you know, I sometimes I just uh, I think a lot of us are in the same boat of like, what could we be doing? What could we be doing to get better and to really break through? But that, you know, that's the struggle. I just think we all have to just keep doing what we're doing and, and work harder than we worked yesterday.
0: And be nice to the people oh, we work
2: with. Yeah, that's, be a good person.
0: That, that makes a oh, huge difference. Really I'm finding does. that so much.
2: <laughs> it really does. It's such a small thing. But at the end of the day, everyone said this, be the person you want to be run into in the hallway at 2 a.m., yeah,
0: so we're gonna wrap this up. And what advice do you have for the little, per- <laughs> little baby, the little baby person
2: in your s- small town of New in New Jersey? Let's see. So I, I was, I guess I'm from originally Maple Shade, which is a very very tiny town, like Maple exit, Shade. Yep, like That's exit adorable. for this turnpike, isn't it? Yeah, like shady uh, shady Palms, ma.
0: So well, I would little s- person in yeah. Maple Shade. What advice do you have for them
2: if they want to do comedy? I would say do it now. Just start right away. Don't waste a second thinking about it. Keep a a journal. Write constantly. Write your jokes down. Develop a voice because you are going to suck in the beginning. You're going to suck for a very long time. But what you need to do is find your voice and find what makes you different than the other comics and pursue it. And... I would say when you're young, everybody wants to help you. Mm-hmm. So capitalize on that. Let them help you. Let them give you advice. But just really go out and do the work. I mean, I, I love college. I, I don't regret going. But there is a part of me that just wished yeah. I had kind of, yeah. yeah. I don't know, hindsight's twenty twenty, But, you know, maybe it would have been a huge disaster and things happen when they're supposed to. Yeah. But I say just explore everything. Just be a, be a student of comedy. Don't just dis- oh, and don't just watch one type of comedy. that's the worst, especially dudes. Watch some women, mm-hmm. if you can't name your favorite female stand up comic you know, or if, if if someone says, "Oh, what are your favorite comics, and not one of them is a woman, you are not watching enough stand up. yes, so just watch everybody, and you just never know I mean, I was this young white girl watching deaf comedy jam, and it completely just opened my mind. Mm-hmm. To, to new stories and new perspectives. And I think that's so important. So anyway, that's my that's my advice in a nutshell is to just absorb as much comedy as you can, as much different comedy as you can. And just don't be afraid. Just do it. Just do it with all your heart. Awesome. I love that. <laughs> that's that's awesome. great. Well, thank you so much for oh. coming on, Stacey. Ladies, thank you so much for
1: having me. I really appreciate it. It was a real pleasure to get to talk to you. Thank you so much. Thank you.